Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Hi, this is Jim. And this is Max. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers Podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Michael Kist. Benjamin Solak. It's the Kiston Solak Show, presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 8, brought to you by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow me on Twitter at MichaelKistNFL. It's K-I-S-T. As always... Joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Eight-Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, how you doing, brother? Mike, I'm here to tell you uh, that every day is a good day to be alive. Uh, I Actually, I did move out of Philly this week. I'm back home uh, for oh. a week before I end of school, which is a little sad. Uh, it's not as fun. But every day is a good day to be alive. Shout out to Philly for hosting me for two months. It was a wonderful time. I love that city. I love y'all. Miss y'all. When I'm back in the Midwest dealing with Bears fans. When's the move going to be permanent? Because you, you, you know you're just you're going to be working the Eagles coverage for the rest of your life, right? Because I'm not going to let you go. <laughs> it's the dream. <laughs> uh, I mean, I got one year left of school, man. I'm just chilling. I have like minimal amount of classes to take, and I finished all my required classes, so it's all uh, it's all like you know like elective stuff, right? Like yeah. you got to fill out the credits, and it's not like you know the University of Chicago's got any any scouting classes. <laughs> Your boy's taking as many <laughs> cupcake classes as possible, uh, and Amazing. just trying to have the schoolwork take up as little time as possible. Finally, finish school and get the heck out of there, and then write about football for the rest of my life. Amen. That is beautiful. Hallelujah, as Brian Dawkins would say. So, what we're going to be talking about today, Ben? All twenty-two takes. For you, gentle listener, uh, before we get to that, though, so we're going to be looking back at the at the Falcons and Eagles game to see what we can extract from that, anything that we have me- may have missed in our live viewing. Before we get to that, though, breaking news, Doug Peterson has said that the starting quarterback will be named today, Ben, odds that it's Carson Wentz. <laughs> like 50 to <laughs> 1. Oh, for, for, I'll put it this way. For them to know this quickly that it's Carson so soon after the the Thursday game it's mm. like that would be surprising to me I will say it's weird you know to have grow drop like oh yeah like Doug's gonna say we know who the starter is and if it's just like Foles again you know what I mean like, that'll be boring um <laughs> but I think it's probably Foles obviously when we were looking at the schedule last week you know, I've been talking up how much of this Tampa game should be an easy win. <laughs> and then Tampa <laughs> hung 48 on the Saints because of some reason. So, yeah. yeah, maybe things are a little bit more interesting. Who knows? Uh, But I would expect it to be Foles. Okay. Yeah, I would expect it to be Foles as well. It's just where I think they want to get it out of the way. 
that's why they're announcing it on Wednesday instead of going through the entire week and irritating Doug Peterson again and having him yell at y'all, which was fun while it lasted. I'm okay with this strategy here. Just name it, move on with it, stop with the questions, and uh, we'll see what happens. Obviously not the cupcake game that that we thought it was, so maybe it would be good if Carson Wentz were to come back because apparently you got to hang points on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to beat them. Who knew without Jameis Winston? This is wild. <laughs> The, the NFC South is just completely on its head right now because you have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers beating the New Orleans Saints. And the Saints were a play away from going to the NFC Championship game last year. The Eagles beat the Falcons, which, you know, not a huge surprise. But then you look at the news, you've got not only Keanu Neal tearing his ACL on that game, but it was just announced yesterday that Deion Jones placed on IR dealing with a foot injury. Ben, this is our last show talking about this matchup with the Eagles and the Falcons, and we have dedicated a lot of time to the Falcons team, and look how quickly things can fall apart on you in the NFL, man. It's wild. This is so sad. With yeah. Keanu Neal, safety, and Deion Jones, linebacker, both hitting IR. Obviously, the Keanu Neal news was pretty immediate after the Thursday night game. The Deion Jones news just released yesterday on Tuesday. Mike, Grady Jarrett, Vic Beasley, Tack McKinley, Deion Jones, Devondre Campbell, Keanu Neal, Robert Alford. That's great defensive, like, you know, core. They have a fantastic team there. But you take away Deion Jones and Keanu Neal? Those are two players that, that, like, you know, if the Atlanta Falcons defense is built in the mold of the Seattle Seahawks defense, then you just took out Cam Chancellor and Bobby Wagner. (laughs) Right? Like as far yeah. as like the roles, right? Oh yeah. And 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 that's not to say Neil and Jones are the, those caliber of players yet. I mean, there's an argument to be made, but whatever. What matters is that to play that Seattle style of defense, you need to have really strong players at the deep middle position, at the corner positions, absolutely. But you need to have that strong safety who is like 200 plus pounds and can come down and play in the box as a linebacker. And your linebackers need to be able to flow sideline to sideline. Like that is imperative. So they better have, I, I don't know what the backup situation is going to look like for them. Obviously, we know uh, without Keanu Neal, you get DeMonte KZ, uh, San Diego State, and 2017 draft, fifth round pick, a player that, that was a senior bowl attendee who a lot of people liked. I was higher on him than a fifth round guy, has some corner safety versatility, and they like mm-hmm. him in the building. That's exciting. But for Deion Jones, you're putting in uh, Foyasade Aluakon, right? You're putting yeah. in that Yale backer they drafted in the sixth round last year, man. <laughs> people thought that Aluakon had to move to safety in the NFL. And now you're going to ask him to play Mike in the in the Dan Quinn four three in his second week of NFL. Like that's nuts. You know what yeah. I mean? That's that that's absolutely wild. From what I understand, Mike, they Atlanta picked up Corey Nelson. Yeah, they when did. Philadelphia cut him. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I don't, like, is, is Corey going to be the guy who steps in? How crazy would that be? Like you know, the NFL with all of its, its wild turns. But that linebacker position, man, that could be a big weakness for them. That could be rough. You're talking about a front seven that has an average age of 25, and they just lost the core piece in the middle of that defense. Obviously, Grady Jarrett is still there, and he's amazing. And I'll probably talk about him as we go through this uh, this film work. But, man, two huge losses that allow them to do what they need to do, like you touched on, Ben, with the cover three. They were all over the place on Thursday against the Eagles. Wait, can I hit one more news bit for you? Yeah, go ahead. Oh, the Eagles are just working out some free agents. Uh, one of which is Kamar Aiken, who they have decided to assign to the 53-man roster, which is really interesting because that one time they cut him. I don't know if you remember this. It was a long time ago. It was last week. Uh, they cut him, and now he's back on the 53. <laughs> Mike, he was so bad at camp. He was awful. He was like, t- like, he's like taking 
primarily special teams reps level of bad. And so he's back. You have to assume that the Jeffrey and Mac Hollins news is just continuing to get worse and worse and worse in the building with how many moves they're making at wide receiver. Obviously, they move on from Greg Ward and Rashard Davis in the practice squad. They bring on like Braxton Miller, whatever. They're, they're flipping over bodies. But you're putting Marcus Wheaton and Kamar Aiken on the active roster. You're fully guaranteeing Marcus Wheaton's contract because you need yeah. him in week one. You know, you got to wonder what the Alshon situation looks like. That's not that's not good. And Mac Hollins is obviously on on IR. And so we're not going to be seeing him for the first half of the season. Uh, but beyond that, uh, Shane Wynn and Brashad Perriman wide receivers were brought in. Obviously, Aiken seems to have beat them out uh, as far as that 53-man roster spot. What a competition. Yeah, I know. Fierce. Uh, Fitzgerald Toussaint, Martez Carter, running backs, uh, Albert McClellan, linebacker. And then quarterback Paxton Lynch, Mike. Uh, the Eagles brought in Paxton Lynch for a workout, which if we needed any evidence beyond Christian Hackenberg that the Eagles were kind of interested in bringing in some quarterbacks to just try out and see if there was anything in, you know, kicking the tires, Paxton Lynch, who obviously the Eagles evaluated in the same draft class uh, as Carson Wentz, that 2015 class, or excuse me, 2016, my apologies. And they bring in Paxton. I would imagine that none of these guys get signed whatsoever. I'm kind of interested in Martez Carter. I don't know if you watched any Martez Carter. Mike, he was a, a 2018 player. A running back out of Grambling State. Just mm. a big jitterbuggy sort of guy. Uh, you know, incredible, like, you know, agility and body control and whatever. He's a smaller guy. Five foot six and a half, 205 from the NFLPA Bowl. Uh, so real like you know kind of a Sproles-esque sort of a build in terms of height and thickness uh, you can do him on outside zone stuff he can return for you uh, so he might be a more interesting running back four option than Wendell Smallwood honestly I think like a dead log is a more interesting running back four option than Wendell Smallwood. <laughs> Martez Carter is kind of interesting to me. Obviously, Fitzgerald Tucson has stuck around in the league before. So you might see a move there uh, if they if they really want to move on from Wendell, if they're not excited about him. But otherwise, it's just, you know, the old checking out the young guys sort of situation. Yeah, you said moving bodies. And I was literally thinking, yeah, we're just moving literal bodies around is kind of what all of that feels like. Uh, unfortunately, mm-hmm. with the wide receiver position, it definitely does look bad. Do you think, do you think that Paxton Lynch thing has anything to do with Wentz, Wentz not being ready yet? Do you think that's like foretelling what's going to, the news is going to be today? Never <laughs> say anything like that to me ever again. <laughs> do you think Paxton Lynch is affecting our decision? Never ever suggest that anything wrong with Carson Wentz will lead a team to become interested in Paxton Lynch. That's heresy. We're going to get kicked off the interwebs by some divine, godly podcasting force if you ever say anything that egregious ever again. Just trying to set you up, bud, but you were sharp. You were sharp with it. I appreciate it. You came with your uh, with your A game. Okay, so Ben, let's get into some of this film. There was something. There was a, there was a play, and we're not going to have any specific order to this. We're going to jump around first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth. Doesn't matter. Go in any order that we want to here. Isn't that what we usually do? Just jump around? Yeah. But, you know. Jump around. Jump. Jump. Stop that. Okay, sorry. Okay, not not that type. But, yeah. Ben, we talked about the running game for the Eagles coming into the game, and I had asked you if they were going to use, like, a bunch of pin and pulls and things of that nature. So, just like you prophesized on the preview show, the Eagles used some pin and pull stuff in the run game. And what's great to see is you watch last year's tape, and you see them pulling Kelsey. You see them pulling Lane Johnson, Brandon Brooks on those pin and pulls, where you free those guys on the outside against smaller guys like linebackers and safeties and get them in better matchups. So you've got one guy coming down, for instance, might be a one tech. You've got the guard coming down on the one tech. The center, Jason Kelsey, then pulls out to the outside of the formation. So that's what the Eagles like Mm -hmm. to do with those athletic linemen. They were not doing it with Big V on that side. 
that I could see, or at least nearly as much. So with Peters, Jason Peters in for Big V, you saw them do it more with the guys on the left in this game against the Atlanta Falcons. And to that point, I think Peters took a little time to get settled into the run game along with the rest of the line. But look, you get him on the move like that in unison with a guy like Jason Kelsey, and it is an absolutely beautiful thing to see. And that's what happened on that go-ahead eventual game-winning touchdown by Jay Ajayi. Fourth quarter, 225 left, Eagles go heavy. So they've got their regular offensive line alignment, but you add Siomalu on the right side, lined up on the outside of Lane Johnson. You've got Zach Ertz outside of Jason Peters on the left. Then you've got two wide receivers on plus splits outside of the numbers with Ajayi as a single back. What happens is, before the snap, Safety Ricardo Allen is initially aligned over Ertz's side to the left of the formation before the snap. He rotates over to the right side over to where Siomalu's side is. And I don't know if you notice this, Ben, but you see as he's flying across the formation, full stands up. He wipes his chest, and I'd imagine that they're flipping the play to the left because now they've got numbers. Mm-hmm. So you've got four on four on the left side. So Wisniewski pins the one tech, boom, and that allows Kelsey to pull out. Ertz pins the five tech, which allows Peters to pull out. one good run block of the day. Sorry, what? (laughs) I 100% agree, by the way, and it came at a clutch moment. So there's that. (laughs) Big block. But yeah. (laughs) So now you've got got two on two. And here is the beautiful part. That two on two is Kelsey versus Deion Jones, who is trying to shoot the gap and gets cut off. And you've got Jason Peters on Devontae Campbell, who is trying to set the edge. And that's a huge mismatch in weight and play strength, and Campbell just can't hold up against it. So you get a displaced end man on the line of scrimmage and seal blocks on the inside to disrupt the flow to the ball. And Ben, there's two other excellent parts of this play that I have not even talked This is how much I'm in love with this play. When I saw this play from the end zone angle, I stood up out of my seat. So that four-on-four is only a four-on-four if Brandon Brooks can cut off the backside linebacker, which is 54 Foye Aluakun, something like that. Foye Sade Aluakun. You said it earlier, and I'm not going to remember it all, so I'm going to call him 54. <laughs> so not only at the beginning of the play was he lined up inside of Brooks at depth, but pre-snap after Foles flips, 54 is pointing it out. He's pointing the run direction and he's right. He knows which way the play is, the play is flowing. And right at the snap, his first three steps are to the right. And guess who's there yeah, to yeah. meet him? Big old Brandon Brooks, baby. Yeah, who's like 100 pounds heavier than him. Exactly. It's a it, beautiful, beautiful matchups. And I think Grady Jarrett even tried to – He like Grady Jarrett felt what was happening, and he tried to grab Brandon Brooks from climbing to the next level, and Brandon Brooks just like bulled through him, right, and was able to climb, reach that backside backer, seal him off. And, Ben, we haven't even talked about my favorite part of the play, which was the slingshot pancake from Lane Johnson on Grady Jarrett. If you don't know what a slingshot is, gentle listener, that's fine. I get it. I'm just learning it is uh, what it is myself. Imagine this. It's basically the, the mental premise is convince a defender that he beat your block so he stops paying attention to you and then come from his blind side and put him in the dirt. And that's exactly what he did. It was beautiful. From what I saw, like Brandon Thorne was saying that like that type of slingshot is like difficulty 11 out of 10. So it was beautiful. Uh, and Ben, you haven't even mentioned Jay Ajayi running through Ricardo Allen trying to track him down from the backside because you're a hater. It's disrespectful to Ajayi. The red zone running efficiency that was so poor last year is on track. Ajayi, two for 12 yards, two touchdowns in the red zone on two beautifully called and executed run plays by the Eagles. I know things have had a slow start with the offense, but those those two plays in the red zone, they really got me jazzed up. Yeah, well, you saw a lot from 
Peterson in the second half, he said it took him a while to settle into uh, the running game, into the calls thereof. Yeah, uh, Atlanta was nicely dialed in on Philadelphia's running attack early. And what it simply came down to was, and this also holds true for the Eagles defense across the game, they were allowing their linebackers to play very heavily, very instinctively, very aggressively into initial run flow. Uh, because they did not feel threatened in the secondary by the passing attack of the Philadelphia in terms of uh, wide receivers down the field against cornerbacks, Nick Foles reaching them, which, as it turns out, is a very reasonable uh, confidence level to have. You know, when Nick Foles is the one slinging the passes and there's no Alshon and there's no Mac Collins, you can really let your linebackers attack like that. And when you're running, we talk about this a lot with Philadelphia's, uh, you know, pin poles and with their traps and with their whams and all this influence stuff, these G blocks, everything. It's a finely tuned machine, and all you need is a grain of sand. All you need is one defensive tackle to catch one edge on one puller, and then he gets there late, which means the linebacker fills, which means the edge defender stays clear. It's such a it's such a complex system that it's easy to disrupt if you can get that grain of sand in there, right? And so when you're playing super fast to flow, and a lot of this comes back to Keanu Neal and Deion Jones, Mike, you can disrupt those plays. And mm-hmm. that's what you were getting from from Neil and Deion Jones and Devondre Campbell and Grady Jarrett and Dedrin Sanat. Dude, yeah. Third round great. rookie, South Florida, out of his mind. Yeah. And, and Atlanta last year needed a nose tackle. And they I think they found their guy in the third round, which is exciting for them. But you were a big fan of Sanat coming into the draft. We talked yes, about Mike, him that's because that's because I'm very, very good at scouting, Mike. <laughs> it's because I'm really quite talented. Now <laughs> I had to watch the the South Florida Texas Tech bowl game and i was like this will be great i'm gonna watch nick shimanek be really bad i'm gonna watch <laughs> quentin flowers be also pretty bad and nothing else and then Sonata had like three ta- three sacks and like five tackles for a loss and i was like who is this man uh <laughs> and he was one of these like real late coming on to the year sort of a guy like you go back to his early uh his early tape in that 2017 season there's no pass rush he's a space right. eater he's a seventh round pick he's bo allen and then as you got into that back half of the season clearly you know, athletically, weight-wise, technique-wise, whatever it was, stuff was really starting to click for him. Uh, and he looked quicker and he looked more effective and he was throwing better moves. And so you can get a guy like that in the third round when really his talent is above that level because just teams haven't been on him for long enough. And that's what Atlanta was able to do. Hey, uh, they did something very similar with Foyasade Luakon with that sixth-round pick, the guy's name you don't know. He was another <laughs> very late guy who came onto the system. And so that's clearly, yeah. like, you know, it's a model for the Falcons there, and it's something to note. Uh, regardless, you got those interior penetrators. They're holding up space. You're causing problems. So what you have to start to do, well, you got to be able to start to attack weak side, and you have to start to keep flow a bit more simple. And you started, you started to see more inside zone style of looks uh, where, where the blocking scheme isn't necessarily as predicated on everybody's got to win their blocks and see off with their leverage. It's, all right, we're going to give running backs a flow, and we're going to let them pick sunlight, right? right? So a bit simpler, allows for some more disruption, number one. Number two, when you incorporate motion into that zone paradigm, you can really get those hard-to-flow backers going the wrong way. And on that last drive, Mike, with those split-zone flows you were seeing, where Philadelphia would motion it in a wide receiver, often Nelson Aguilar, from the far side, motion him across the formation, and give a lot of eye candy to those backers, and then snap it and run zone away from the motion, right? So run zone away, have Aguilar basically take the, the pursuit edge defender, and hold him in place, if not actually block him. Like, just right. the threat of the motion holds him in place. He's got to play contain. But then he can also run into him and block him. What does that do? Well, that forces... Uh, well, that that allows for the, the running back to have more time to read, number one, because there's no backside pursuit. Yep. But number two, it allows for your 
backside tackle now to climb up into the second level. Backside tackle often of being Jason Peters, one of the best blockers in the game. Uh, <laughs> it allows him to climb up to the second level because he's not worried about closing off that backside anymore, right? Because you're holding that guy in place with the split motion, allows him to get to the second level and to start hitting some backers. So Peterson, a nice adjustment, chess match offense and defense, dealing with that front seven that was playing very aggressively, finding ways to run the football, the J, uh, the, the JJ, the final touchdown, the Corey Clement third and one run on right. that game ceiling drive. Yeah. Uh, both of those plays off of that split zone idea. And that's working because for three quarters, Atlanta's been sending the heat, sending the heat, sending the heat. So you know how to counter it when the moment comes. One play that broke my heart because you know I'm, I'm a big fan of Wham, where they do that trap in the middle. They let the one or the three tech go and then the tight end comes yep. down and you run off his butt. Did you see Grady Jarrett blow that up with a wrong arm technique? I know, I know the play went for three yards, but it was like the best I've seen it played by a defensive tackle in that position. Right. Jarrett's un, uh, we talk about body control. When yeah. you wrong arm, right? We talk about a wrong arm technique. If a lineman is coming from your right handed side to block you, the typical block down, step down technique you learn in high school football is he's coming from your right. So drive your right shoulder into him and try to drive him back, basically going through him. A wrong arm technique, which is a, a more advanced technique that's difficult to pull off, you flip your hips so he's coming from your right so you turn into him you get your hips face the 180 degrees flipped you get your left shoulder into him and you rip through him yeah and then flip your hips back around to go make a tackle so just kind of think about what that's like like think about instead of like just shuffling to your right flipping so you're facing the opposite direction shuffling <laughs> and then flipping back again while like a 300 pound man is bearing down on you and jared's body Gar- uh, grady jared's body control to pull that off is bananas right it's just stupid we were watching two top five defensive tackles in the league last night mike in grady jarrett and fletcher cox by the way yeah (laughs) fletcher cox obliterated the falcons interior offensive line i thought it was bad watching the broadcast film the all 22 film should have been rated man that was terrible have you seen the tweet that i put out because i counted right i went through the game Fletcher Cox had seven pressures, one sack, one sack called off for the Derek Barnett offsides. I charted the pass rush reps for Fletcher Cox. There were 46 of them. Guess how many times? We're going to play this guessing game again. Guess how many times that Fletcher Cox either got straight up doubled or had a slide come his way with meaningful contact from his second blocker. Not like a hand. Right. So so chip him off the line and then engage him. Okay. Right. Um, you said 46 or 56? I said 46. I'll go like right around 50%. I'll go 23. Ooh, okay. 27 times, bro. They slid they <laughs> more than half the time. Imagine having like Brandon Graham, Chris Long, Michael Bennett on your team and being like, all right, we know they're going to pay attention to another guy. Like, like <laughs> not one of these three guys. Dude, Bennett. They moved him around and I liked it because the early yeah. pass rush from Derek Barnett wasn't getting home. They moved Michael Michael Bennett over to his side for a little bit. They moved him all over the place. They were running stunt games with him. They were doing all types of nasty stuff. That defensive defensive front has never been so uh, variety filled. Well, this, I, I don't know. I have to, I used to know the name for this front. I don't now and I have to go find it. I wish I did before I got onto a live podcast to talk about it. But when they go... When they go two three techs, two nine techs, oh, right, yeah. and they just leave those a gaps open, yeah. And sometimes they mug the a gaps, right. Sometimes they go straight eagle and they just mug them. Other like double eagle, like with that that two a gap look. But sometimes they just leave the linebackers back, and they're just like, listen, <laughs> we're not going to block the middle. 
you're not going to run there anyway. And they go three tech and nine tech like that. I don't know what that's called, but that's just so inconvenient. You know what they were doing with Jordan Hicks was they were giving him that, that blitz that he had for the sack. That was a green dog. That's what Jim Schwartz said. No, yeah, he reads. Yeah. <laughs> it's oh, no, absolutely. He yeah. reads whatever the heck he wants. Listen, yeah, you know, that Jordan Hicks sack was fantastic. There was, I'm pretty sure on that rep, I can't remember who, I'm trying to remember who it was. Somebody had an insane, oh, it was, um, it was Derek Barnett. Barnett tried to throw his, uh, his little inside spin yeah. that he's a super big fan of <laughs> for some reason. He's not yet able to accomplish is getting deep enough to the outside shoulder of that right. tackle to threaten him and then come back inside. Yeah. And so Jake Matthews, good football player, is just kind of standing there watching him throw this inside spin and then just buries him which ended up being good because ryan couldn't escape because Derek barnett was on the floor and he flew barnett he flew ben barnett into the quarterback with how bad he buried him if i remember that correctly <laughs> no either way that was rough i honestly like i thought barnett looked like better uh than he did in his first year uh, yeah. you know he, he he uh i think he's got more power to him which yeah, is good man. news uh, you know there's a chance that he's stronger yeah i agree no he's throwing his hands well the the reality for me is that he doesn't throw rush moves with consistency or success at this right. point right you know it's again it's like okay it's not a death knell he's still a good player a lot like i feel like if you were to take him and put him on a line that does not generate as much other disruption as philadelphia's he would be markedly less productive and it would be markedly more stark how unproductive he is but because there's already so much of a mess in the pocket. It's easier for him to be productive. Again, it's not like a problem with Barnett. It's just talking about the public perception of him. That said, Barnett had two huge plays on the goal line, man, yeah. in run defense. Yes, right. And, and Camus gets all the love uh, for that fourth down stop. But the reality is Camus' good play goes unnoticed because that's a touchdown if not for Derek Barnett. Barnett takes two off the line he takes the tight end who's in front of him and he prevents the, the tackle from getting outside which immediately puts the eagles in a plus numbers situation to the outside which then Camus makes a good play fighting off of blocks running the cloud takes on a block jordan hicks presents in a gap and, and the whole defense does its job but that starts because of Derek Barnett. he's the first domino i agree he was very good in the run and i agree that in the past game he was better he was getting some solid push ended in the night with, with only one pressure there were some opportunities there for him that's been moved, though. I watched all of his snaps from college, literally every single one. I think he tried that spin move four times, and it was bad every time. And he's really trying. He's really trying in the pros, yeah. man. When he gets a sack on that spin move, I will lose my mind because we have finally I'm gonna made it. I'm going to go bananas. <laughs> when, he, when he makes a sack, all right, remember how last year when Jack Elliott made a 61-yard field goal had to buy his jersey? <laughs> if, if Derek, Derek Barnett... Barnett Makes this sack on a high quality inside spin move. He needs to okay. win the rep Ice and kick. make the sack. It's it's not like it's not like you know somebody else pressured the quarterback and the quarterback was moving and Barnett threw the spin and made the tackle. By my discretion, mm. high quality inside spin sack. I'll buy Derek Barnett's jersey. Ooh, I love it. There it is. Folks. I'm just gonna get a jersey a year by placing ridiculous bets on Philadelphia Eagle performances. That'll be my tradition. But I understand that because that signifies something that he has worked very hard on. And then mm -hmm. when it comes to fruition and it, he pulls it off and he does it with with excellent technique, it signifies that he is taking the steps mm -hmm. needed to take, which will be a beautiful thing. What about Robert uh, Robert Alford on Nelson Aguilar? Was that not a fun matchup? Uh, I'm just here basking in the glow of 
being right about Robert Alford. Okay, I'm being super braggy on this podcast. I think we Robert Alford be. is a good player. I've thought that he was a good player, and then he was a good player last night, and I was pretty excited about that. Uh, but no, it was a good matchup. Man, Nelson is just such an explosive player. You forget yeah. about it, but he had a couple reps last night that were really impressive. Yeah, you look at the stat line for Aguilar, and it's all short stuff, but part of that was because there was no yak. Alfred made sure that Aguilar had to fight bell to bell throughout the route stem. And after the mm-hmm. catch, there was there just wasn't there wasn't space. It was a dogfight. And we talked about it in the previous show how unappreciated Alfred is. We're talking about it now because we're going to pat ourselves on the back, which is cool. I mean, we call something like that. It's awesome. Uh, but you look at Alfred right, right from the beginning, uh, four-yard speed out, stuffed immediately, six-yard quick slant. Gets the first, but nothing after that. 10-yard curl, super contested. Six-yard dig. Aguilar had to fight to catch that puppy because there was a fight at the break point. Again, stuffed quickly after that as well. And the play he made in the third quarter, that Yankee concept that we talked about in the preview show that the Falcons like to run, where you've got that deep post, you got the deep over route. Him falling off the deep post, passing it off to the safety, and then coming under the deep over from Aguilar, he did everything right diagnosed it, jumped it, just didn't come away with the interception, which would have put Philadelphia in a bad spot because he catches that at the Atlanta 40, and there is daylight four days going the other way. Would have put the Eagles down two scores and completely changed the landscape of the game. So a missed opportunity, but it was fun to watch as a good, you know, a fan of good football and a fan of Robert Alford's game. And, and of course, I'm saying that after the fact from the cold, dispassionate eyes of an all-22 yes. junkie. <laughs> um, but let's not forget, Ben, fourth quarter, five left. Five minutes left. The Eagles are down two. It's second and eight, and Alfred draws Mike Wallace on a streak with no safety help because Aguilar was like holding the middle of the field close safety with a intermediate middle route. Alfred and his four three nine speed was able to turn and make up the ground, get his head around, make a play. And that brings me to a quick point about Nick Foles, who we haven't talked about yet, who was zero for five deep passing for the night. And you really feel like with Foles, because although Foles' average time to throw was low, it was around 2.54, which is right around where he was in the playoffs. He still had a high percentage of throws that you felt like he took longer to hold on to the ball. And he he held it. And the, the more he held it, the more you felt like in that specific play that a disaster was like was coming. And overall, 21 of his 36 dropbacks, uh, the throw came after 2.5 seconds. And on those, he was 10 for 20 with a pick and a 38.8 QB rating. It's been his bugaboo. His entire career, I thought he had a bad game. But, I mean, that's obvious. <laughs> did, yeah, but did anybody think that he had a good game? Was that a t- Tell me right now that that was not a take somewhere. I was trying to put a bow on it somehow. I'm sure there's someone out there defending Nick Foles. There was someone in the comments section of BleedingGreenNation.com that was, that was defending him because they're like, hey, even if we get bad Foles, we're four and four with him. Well, you know what? You can count on that all day, buddy, but I'm not counting on that type of foals to get us to the promised land or or get us through this stretch without Carson Wentz, without a game completely imploding on us and everyone freaking out. I, I still do believe, though, that, that the stretch without Carson Wentz will last another game. Just yeah. one. Like, that's that's my current read on things as it stands. But then again, my read on things was that Carson was going to start week one anyway, so maybe I'm just a blubbering optimist. Hey! Uh, let's talk about who had the most surprising performance for you when you went back to the tape, either good or bad. Who who really caught your eye as far as beyond your expectations? Beyond my expectations would probably see, but I've been on the Kamu played well, and I kind of been on that train for a little bit. Nate Gary looked lost, but I wasn't surprised by that. 
whatsoever. Destiny Vio played well. Gary Gary was a little better than I thought he was. Yeah, uh, I, but he was still bad. Did I you thought, just I, say Destiny Vio played okay, well? I, okay, so I thought Camu played worse than I initially thought, but still played well. I thought Gary played better than I initially thought, but still yes, played poorly. I co-signed both of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sure. Um, Destiny Vio had a couple of spa- uh, splash plays and some couple a uh, couple of nice pressures in the as a pass rusher. However, against the run, no, you're right. He was he wasn't. Uh, there were a few plays where he got washed right out. Bruce Hector better. Yeah, I have seen better from Bruce Hector, which is I, I want to see more of him. Man, I got to tell you, McLeod uh, surprised me probably in a good way. I know he had a missed tackle. He got stiff armed by Julio. That was uh, pretty pretty brutal for him. Because not, I mean, everyone kind of played how I expected them to play there weren't many surprises with the eagles and Foles was bad so it kind of just bogged down everything the offensive line played solid played really well mcleod on that inverted cover two, mcleod read that thing beautifully and he almost came through with a pick on that one that was nice mcleod had a bad missed tackle yeah. early yep and then a missed interception that got like four different camera angles <laughs> and so watching the broadcast like our mcleod did badly mcleod played really well yeah in my opinion overall and one thing that i noticed in camp that I thought was more so just a camp thing, but it appears to have leaked into week one. They are much more willing this season to put McLeod down into the box and put Jenkins up high than they were last season. Now, obviously it's much, much, much more so McLeod high and Jenkins down in the box. That's what they want. That's where their strengths are. But when you get quick, jet motion at the snap, right? So you get a guy coming across the formation, a little slot receiver right at the snap. Something you'll see a lot of college teams do is they'll immediately get the ball to that jet player, put on Auburn, put on UCF, and that's what you're going to see, right? And if you just have a man chasing that man, he's going to be behind him. Mm -hmm. And so you're immediately going to have an out leveraged defender right when you do the little jet sweep or just a little, you know, jet, you know, screen or, or throw off of a split zone sort of situation. So, the response from college defenses has been to spin the safeties. The, the the safety who was covering that guy in the slot goes up to the single high. The right. guy who was single high rotates down to beat that jet motion guy to the other side of the formation. It helps when you're covering those quick hitting plays. We know that one of Schwartz's focuses for this offseason was responding to that pre-step motion, especially across the formation. To me, it seems very clear that they're going to do that by spinning their safeties. That's yeah. something that they want to feel comfortable doing is letting those players rotate like that. Saw a ton of Corey Graham also as well. A lot of big nickel, a lot of big dime. I know you have the numbers on that, right? It's it's 55% big nickel or big dime throughout the entirety of the game. The entire last drive was all big dime against 11 personnel, three wide receivers for the Atlanta Falcons. A lot of Corey Right, Graham. so Corey, Corey Graham is playing near half the snaps or something yeah. like that, pretty much. This was a player who was not there for most of camp, right? Like, we, we need to, like, like acknowledge that, okay, obviously, like, he's a veteran, he knows what he's doing, the coaching staff is comfortable with him, but I do not know why they are okay with Corey Graham getting so much playing time. He is not very good. <laughs> Man. Did you see the communication issues? No, absolutely. Yeah, there were a couple of plays. The, the, the one the one where he didn't get deep enough for Ronald Darby, and that mm-hmm. went on Ronald Darby's stat line. And then you've got the other one. I've got it marked down. I've got it marked down right here. Second quarter, 110 left in the half. After the play, there was a, there was a little bit of motion before the snap, and Jenkins come up comes up and he's looking at Graham and Graham's like giving him a signal like no it's this man and I, you, I think Ben's pulling up the play right now so we can kind of see what I'm talking about you see 
both Graham and Mills give the same hand signal to Jenkins. And Jenkins is like, no, guys, this is no, I, I told you before the snap, this is what we were doing. Um, and then again, you know, that big play to, to Julio Jones on a big conversion where it was like third and 18, something like that. And he's covering a guy that's five yards down the field and leaving that whole zone open for Julio Jones to work in front of Ronald Darby. And then, you know, PFF is going to mark him for that. And everyone's going to say that Ronald Darby had a bad game because what PFF, you know, has for his, for his coverage stats right. is nonsense. Dude, Darby was my surprise Amazing. player. Darby <laughs> was a world beater yeah. against the Falcons. He like, awesome. okay, he got beat. He got beat by Holy Jones on a couple of routes, which again, I would like to reiterate that there is not a single corner in the NFL who would not get beat by Julio Jones on a couple routes. This is the very worst one was that bench route, and every cornerback in the NFL gets beat by that. You got three and a half seconds to throw that freaking thing. What do you want him to do? Everything else was awesome, dude. That bench route was so, <laughs> so <sick>. filthy. <laughs> I have the clip, and I haven't dropped it yet because I want to drop it at like maximum time for retweets because it's such a good route. But anyway, yeah, Julio worked him a couple times, but man, was he good? Darby looks quicker. He looks so much quicker than he did off that injury, which like obviously, but it's noticeable and it's awesome. Well, and we talked about it after the game. I was like, dude, he looks good. And you were like, yeah, he looks really good. And then I, I watched like the, the film yeah, yeah, yeah. and just really focused on him. He click clacks so fast, man. He just he gets in and out of his breaks. There was one where he kind of slipped and put had to put his hand down. And by the time they got the ball got there on like a four yard speed out, he was on it. He was a he was a couple inches away uh, of getting some more pass defense to, on Julio. And the big one on third down that he broke on was beautiful. He looked smooth. Uh, he was using some more backpedal than usual than than I noticed from him mm-hmm. before because he usually shuffles and he was using some more backpedal. And he turns out of that sucker quick, man. He's right. great out of his turns. Right. Well, that backpedal is, I think, a direct result of, and again, this I said this about the Falcons' defense, and it holds true for the Eagles' defense. Philadelphia was playing with eight in the box. They were playing with their linebackers and their safeties, who were quasi-linebackers, very fast to flow, and they were letting those cover three corners, Darby and Mills, were playing very much so what you would call a cover three squat, which yeah. is... Like you want you like is it a one high six under zone? No, because that'd be nuts. Yeah. But it's something that Washington likes to do a lot with Josh Norman in the sense that you have a cover three corner who's very aggressive, uh, who's very an excellent downhill closing sort of a player. Well, let his responsibilities to cover three. If you think of cover three as covering that deep third of the field, think of it as a gradient with like the the darker part of the gradient further closer to the line of scrimmage. Yes, he's still got the deep third, but he's heavily attacking downhill. And so you saw Philadelphia employ similar ideas. Makes sense because Washington has really been the team that popularized it and they play Washington twice a year. Uh, and so you saw that sort of a technique, which is more of a backpedal than it is a side shuffle because you're not as worried about the turn and run. You're more so playing aggressive downhill. You want to be able to fire straight out of your hips, flush to the line of scrimmage and go close on those quick routes. And it's simply because they're not afraid of the Falcons intermediate to deep passing attack which is crazy when you have julio jones (laughs) muhammad sanu calvin ridley and matt ryan which obviously ryan looked super off but it goes to it goes to uh speak to the idea of how steve sarkeesian calls just a very peculiar offense for the strengths of that team while we're on the cornerback topic Sidney Jones looks good. Sidney Jones looks good. Sidney Jones was overlapping zone coverage like he's been playing for five years in the slot. Like, like he had a couple of reps that stood out where I was like, man, that is a nice, good, fast read for a rookie in the slot. He's technically a rookie. I don't care. (laughs) There's still issues. 
he would get turned around a little bit. You know, he would lose his sense of awareness. He's a little bit jumpy out there. Okay, it's his first live game action as a starter in the slot, whatever. The peaks were frequent enough and high enough that I'm pretty, yeah, that got me pretty stoked. And I've got my Sydney Jones deep dive pinned to my Twitter profile at Michael Kist NFL because I'm really proud of that piece. And my boy Sydney is making me Should be. a very proud papa right now. And by the way, I also did a full evaluation on Ronald Darby in the summer and said that he has Pro Bowl potential. I really like his game. These corners are coming to play, man. And Jim Schwartz trusts him, too. He'll, he'll, there were a couple of situations. I think there was a wheel late by uh, by Julio that was picked up by Sidney Jones, and he processed all the route combinations in front of him, got to his responsibility, didn't take the cheese on anything. It was really, really nice. And in the red zone, man, <laughs> I, I, I dropped a piece on this for Bleeding Green Nation. I think it's hilarious. I was going through, and I didn't realize. Like, remember when when Julio was in the in the slot in the red zone for the the third and four, or, or no, the second and goal and the third and goal, he was coming from the slot, and they had double on him. First and goal and fourth and goal. I took pictures. I took screenshots of this. He was doubled all four downs. Straight up doubled. Left and right. Nowhere to go. Of course, the Falcons didn't have any answer for it whatsoever. Dude, these red zone stats, I mean, I, you know, we've harped on it before, but these red zone stats, look at what this defense did to the Atlanta Falcons, who had a 40% success rate <laughs> in the, in the, in the, before they got to the red zone. They had 15 red zone plays. 0.73 yard average, 13% success rate. They didn't have a single pass that was a success. They averaged negative 0.4 yards in the red zone on passing plays with 10 plays. That's crazy. That's balling out. I don't care how incompetent your red zone offense is. That defense still has to come out and execute, and that's exactly what they did. I'm super excited about these young corners, man. They got me going. You want to hear a fun fact, Mike? I love fun facts. The uh, Jim Schwartz Philadelphia Eagles defense has played uh, the Atlanta Falcons <laughs> offense, which for one of those games, sir, was coordinated by Kyle, one Kyle Shanahan, mm-hmm. and then the other two were Steve Sarkeesian. But still, uh, in those games, they've scored a total of 37 points, 15 of those points have come in the second half. <laughs> Schwartz has Schwartz has held them to nine points in the uh Kyle Shanahan game. They mm-hmm. scored a total of fifteen points in that game. Nine of them came in the uh in the second half. So that's the majority of the points. Mm-hmm. But then for the Steve Sarkeesian defense, a total of twenty two points scored across two games, six of which, and they were in the fourth quarter of this game, have come in the second half. <laughs> Schwartz has his number, but not only does he have his number, he beats him in in game adjustments out of the half as well. Yeah. The Eagles have beat the Falcons in three straight seasons. The Falcons are a good team all three seasons. In most games, kind of the, the crown jewel coaching-wise goes to somebody on the offensive staff. When it comes to the Falcons, man, Schwartz has pulled the Eagles out of a hole now a couple of times. Yeah, uh, It's really impressive to see. So shout out Jimbo, my boy Jimbo. Gotta love him. He deserved to throw that equipment, man. The better coach, and you often see this with, with, with some coaches, they're fantastic for the first 15 scripted plays for the first quarter. They're awesome. Mm-hmm. Sark's actually somewhat decent at it. Sark's opening script was good. Right. I thought it was solid until they got to the red zone and bogged down. And they still got a situation where they could add a touchdown. They still got the matchup that they wanted. Even though Julio wasn't on the field, we can debate about it all day long. But the fact is, should have been a touchdown. And the opening script was good. The coaches that are good in this league, that stick around in this league, are the ones that are able to make adjustments throughout the game. Halftime adjustments, things of that nature, because it's a counterpunch game. Counterpunch, counterpunch, counterpunch. And if you stop punching, if you run out of ideas or you don't know how to fix something, then the game is going to go very poorly for you and you're going to end up looking like Derek Carr did on Monday night, which was a disaster. Oh. 
Derek Carr, or in my opinion, a Sam Bradford, but whiter. Amazing. Can we talk? Can we talk? Let's do quick NFL review, Mike. Yeah. John Gruden says that he has trouble generating pressure on Jared Goff, which is funny because if only you had a defensive player of the year at edge. And then what happens the next day? The Raiders re-sign Martavis Bryant, who they cut, who is a wide receiver. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. What? Imagine, imagine, imagine signing a player. Imagine trading a third round pick for a player, Mike. Imagine trading a third round pick for like a troubled player who struggles to stay on the field for disciplinary and health reasons alike. So firstly, imagine that, which is already dumb. And then imagine signing him, I believe, to a multi-year contract when you trade for him. I don't quote me on that. Maybe I'm wrong, whatever. So half imagine it. Then imagine (laughs) him failing in camp because shocking he's martavis bryant then imagine cutting him then imagine trading away your 2016 defensive player of the year then imagine getting beat up by the rams uh because you can't put any pressure on jared goff and your defensive line is getting blown off the ball and then imagine your solution being signing the wide receiver back why (laughs) i don't know dude it's so weird it's so weird i don't and you and you saw his face at the end of the game the look that he gave Derek carr when Derek carr i guess he thought he was throwing it away he threw it and they threw his arms up which i don't even know like if he thought someone was going to be there it was the biggest rainbow ever maybe he was mad at the sideline for being so far away it was the worst throwaway that i've ever seen that game was amazing for so many different reasons i'm so glad i stayed up to watch it it was incredible dude right so i said i was home right my ma is a jets fan she's a big jets fan she was very excited for the debut of sam Darnold, especially because she realized that sam Darnold is younger than me she thinks that's a very a very like novel she like she keeps on like talking about how he looks like he's 13 but she was very excited obviously about the 48 point performance and then she told me when I was on my way to, to come to the office to record the podcast, she goes, make sure you, you talk about how good the Jets were on uh, Monday night. And I said, no, but <laughs> here we are. So shout out mom. Shout out the great mush. Uh, shout out the Jets going 48 points. Shout out Sam Donald. Not looking great. Um, but Jeremy Bates, offensive coordinator, looking good. Yeah. Shout out Quincy Anunwa for being back. Love Quincy Anunwa. Uh, yeah. Good, sneaky, good receiving core in New York if they can all stay healthy and on the field. Yeah, I'm a big Robbie Anderson and Quincy and New One guy. We can uh we like similar stuff and we like good things. That's why we do this yeah, show. It's together. weird. It's almost <laughs> like uh we're both good evaluators. Oh. <laughs> All right, that's two good evaluator jokes in one podcast. I am feeling myself right now. We gotta be proven wrong before we start eating some humble pie, so that's how that's gotta go. Shout out, we both picked the Falcons. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Look, <laughs> no, I'm a good talent evaluator. I can't tell you how the what the final score is gonna be. That's a whole different industry now. You've got a whole different industry exactly. that opened oh, totally up. Totally different now. character, for sure. So, Ben, uh, gentle listeners, listen up. We've got a fireside chat with Duke Mannyweather from OL Masterminds coming up. Uh, he worked uh, pretty close with, with Lane Johnson on this, and he's got some interesting stories to tell. It was like his and Lane's idea, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. We get to the, we get into that whole story, which is, it's, yeah, you got to listen to that. I had, I had a good time with Duke. So that's going to be coming up. Uh, me and Ben are going to be hitting our preview show, show soon. And then you're going to have the BGN radio preview show as well. Uh, Trevor Sikama, I am recording with this morning, actually, from Pewter Report. And we are going to be getting into the Bucks Shout out and Trev. the Eagles talk. Yeah. Love Trev. So that's going to be coming up next. Ben, say goodbye to the dental listeners and tell them where to go and how many stars to give. Okay. That's a lot of instructions. Number one, <laughs> goodbye, gentle listeners. 
Nice. Number two. Nailed it. Go to hell? What am I supposed to like? Oh, go to <laughs> iTunes. There it is. Right, because it's in conjunction with the third question. Yeah. We don't want to tell the general listeners go to hell. Okay. <laughs> uh, number two. Go to iTunes. Number three, uh, there's actually a bug in the iTunes system, so it only allows for five-star reviews to be submitted uh, to BGN Radio. Again, we've been working on it with them. And the crazy thing is it's like cross-polluting. It's like a disease. So all the other podcast apps actually, same issue, just for our show, crazy, (laughs) don't know why. Obviously, the government is on it. But as of right now, if you want to leave a review, it's going to have to be five stars. And let's be real. You want to leave a review. So go ahead and leave that five-star review. We do appreciate it. Mike, we cleared 400, didn't we? We sure did. Over 400 five-star reviews. And you know why, Ben? Tell me why. Because we all we got. We all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. I highly resent not being able to do... I'm in Benjamin Solak on Twitter. I'm Benjamin Solak. This is Michael Kiss on Twitter. I'm Michael Kiss NFL's KIST. You just took that away from me. Yeah. No one will know where to find us, but it's fine. <laughs> yeah, I only, I only dropped mine like three different times. You got to get it in where you fit in, Ben. <laughs> That's true. You were like, check out my pin tweet. Check out my other thing. I did a deep dive wrong, Darnie. Michael Kiss NFL. Bye. Rookie. All right. Boom. That's all. Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function.